This morning, we get to conclude our series, Conversations, by listening in on a conversation between Jesus and Peter. It took place early in the morning, and it took place alongside a lake, the Sea of Galilee. John calls it the Sea of Tiberias. You remember a few weeks ago, Sam encouraged us to remember in the Gospel of John, light and darkness are a motif that gets repeated over and over. So it is dawn, it's just becoming light. Light means spiritual readiness, spiritual change. Darkness means uh, closed off, hard-hearted, not willing to change. It's dawn and they're at the lake, the Sea of Galilee. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples, we're told. In John chapter 20, he appears the first time, the night of the resurrection. The disciples are behind locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. And Jesus comes into their midst and he says to them, peace be with you. Just like the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then his second appearance to the disciples was eight days later. Uh, Thomas had not been present the first time. And Thomas had said, forget it. I'm not going to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead until I put my hand on his side and I put my finger in the hole in his hand. And so now eight days later, Thomas is with them and Jesus appears and he says the same thing, speaking exactly to Thomas and says, peace be with you. Well, we're told at the start of John chapter 21 that after these things, after what? After the Feast of Passover, we don't know how many days it transpired, but uh, John picks up what happens next. Uh, up north in Galilee, the disciples have gone back home and they've gone back to what they know. They've gone back to fishing. And uh, we're told that seven of them are gathered, Peter and six others. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other guys say, okay, we'll go along. And they go out and fish all night and catch nothing. And then we're told that early in the morning uh, at dawn, uh, Jesus is on the shore, but the disciples can't see yet. They don't recognize that it's him or they're too far out in the lake to know that it's him. And he hollers out to them and says, hey, boys, have you caught anything? And their answer to him is they yell back in and say, no, nothing. He says, uh, well, toss the net on the right side of the boat. And when they do, there's a great number of fish caught. We're told it's 153 once they get them to shore and count them. Some of you are saying, well, that sounds awful familiar. Yep, at the start of Jesus' ministry, Luke chapter 5, there was a miraculous catch of fish right when Jesus was first calling his disciples to follow him. And he said, I'll make you fishers of men. And now at the very end, after the resurrection, again, there's a miraculous catch of fish. Uh, John says to Peter, you know what? That's Jesus. And Peter has been working all night, so his outer cloak is off. He grabs that outer cloak, ties it around him. He dives into the water. He swims to the shore of the 100 yards. The rest of the men row the boat back in to the shore. And they find there this man, Jesus, with a charcoal fire burning, a fish on it, and some bread being warmed. And he invites the men. He says, bring some of the fish you just caught, and let's have breakfast. Imagine. 
Imagine what that felt like to them. Uh, I want to encourage you to pause the video for a moment. And uh, whoever you're with or on your own, would you take a moment and read through the first 14 verses of John chapter 21? And then uh, think, or if you're with some other folks, chat for a moment or two about why had they gone back to fishing? It's not a surprise that they went back to the Galilee. They were told right after the resurrection that Jesus was going to go ahead of them to Galilee. But uh, why occupy themselves with fishing? Chat about that for a couple minutes, and then we're going to see the amazing conversation that takes place between Jesus and Peter. Good morning, WL family. We are going to be reading from John 21, 1 through 14. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. John and Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple, disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooked over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There are 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared him to ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thank you for taking a minute to think about and talk about the reasons Peter and the others would have gone back to fishing. I wish I could be with you face to face and hear some of what you talked about and some of your thoughts. Here are a couple of mine. I think they went back to fishing because Peter was going back to what was familiar, what he knew. And it's something that I think most of us do when we are confused and not sure what to do next, kind of drift back to what we know. What's familiar? I think they went back to fishing because Peter had serious doubts. Not doubts about Jesus. He knew Jesus was alive. He'd seen Jesus alive after the resurrection uh, three times already. So his doubts aren't about him. His doubts are about himself. What's inside? Peter had serious doubts about himself. And Jesus is about to have a conversation with Peter to address what's going on inside him. I think they went back to fishing and what was familiar because Peter was embarrassed and just wanted to be out of the spotlight. Kids, 
have you ever done something that you know was uh, wrong and you felt so guilty about it you just wanted to hide? Run and hide under the bed? Be someplace where nobody would see you? I think I was eight or nine years old and we were seated at family dinner. I'm the oldest uh, compared to my brothers. And so we're sitting there one night and the pickle jar is out in front of me and it's got Polish words on it. And I read the pickle jar and I said some words I had no idea what they meant. And both my mom and dad, they were not jokesters, but this particular night, for some reason, they go, what did you just say? I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. We're going to have to wash your mouth out with soap. I had no idea what I had said, but boy, was I embarrassed. And I literally crawled under the kitchen table that night. Later, uh, I was a youth pastor. I'm in my 20s. I shot my mouth off in a situation in front of some peers and students. And I remember feeling so guilty and so embarrassed about that. I didn't want to face anyone who had been there and known what I had done. Uh, Peter is in that same spot because Peter had failed. And when we see him on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that morning, uh, after a night of fishing, he has some things going on inside him because of his failure that are really hard. Uh, his failure was after his boast to Jesus. It's in John chapter 13. It's in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Jesus has predicted, he, he's told them he's going to be killed and uh, he quotes an Old Testament passage about everyone else being scattered. And Peter boldly boasts, even if everybody else goes, I won't. I will follow you to the death. Jesus says, oh, really? Uh, this very night before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And then uh, later in Matthew chapter 26, it describes what went on that night. In one night, in the courtyard of Caiaphas during that first trial of Jesus, right after he was arrested, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times. As soon as the rooster crowed, Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Peter felt weak, felt like a failure. He had denied his Lord. He felt guilty. He felt inadequate uh, to be a disciple. And that night, uh, those feelings were on top of what he'd felt in the past. He was known as the disciple who would speak first and think later. He'd been corrected by Jesus multiple times. How he must have felt that night after denying Jesus and what carried over to the time that he's here weeks later on the shore of the Sea of Galilee in John 21. And one pastor wrote, said, we love Peter because he's like us. Overestimates himself and underestimates temptation. He thinks he's more committed than he is. He thinks he loves the Lord more than he actually does. Peter, when we see him in John 21, is paralyzed by disappointment in himself, embarrassment, shame, feeling, I think, disqualified. One of the amazing things of the scriptures is that uh, they don't 
hide from us the failures of some that we would consider heroes. King David, the Apostle Paul, and Peter. Uh, that morning, after Jesus has called them over and said, okay, let's have breakfast together, he had one fish and some bread like this and said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. We're going to have breakfast. And Jesus now has a conversation with Peter. It's a define the relationship conversation, a DTR. It's a conversation about love. It's a conversation right after breakfast, and he restores and recommissions and recalls Peter. Here's the conversation he has with Peter. It's in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Simon, that was his old name before Jesus gave him the name Peter. Some think uh, Jesus used that name because Peter had been acting like his old self now not like the disciples. He says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He uses the word agape, uh, the word that's used to describe God's love for his creation, his love for us, unconditional love. Do you truly agape me more than these? Do you love me? This is always the right question to ask ourselves after we sin, to ask any friend, another follower of Jesus who's been disobedient and uh, gotten off the path and drifted, do you love me? See, when you and I sin, we've loved something or someone else more than Jesus. Peter had done that. All the disciples had done it. We've all done it. Do you love me? See, God wants and expects the love of his people. These disciples knew uh, the principles in the Old Testament as early as Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 10, what does the Lord ask of you? But there's a list of things that includes to love him. Deuteronomy 11, love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. One person said, love is the power behind duty. Love is the power behind obedience. Love is the power behind service. Love is the power behind sacrifice. Love is the power behind worship. Love is the power behind fellowship. Do you love me more than these? The these was probably the other six disciples sitting around the fire as they had finished breakfast. Do you love me more than these? And Jesus is reminding Peter of what his boast had been. Hey, even if all the rest of them abandon you, I won't. Really, Peter? Uh, what about now? Do you love me more than these? That question, but uh, we can put a blank there. Do you love me more than fill in the blank. That's the question where new beginnings happen, where turnarounds and turning back to God start. That question is the one that allows for fresh starts. Do you love me more than fill in the blank? Peter gives his answer. 
Verse 15, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. But he uses a different word for love. He uses the word uh, phileo, friendship love, kind, strong affection love. There's lots of debate about why does he use a different word and no one's quite sure. Maybe Peter uses a different word because of his past failure. He knows his love for Jesus doesn't match up with Jesus's love for him. Peter uses a different word. Uh, yes, I, I'm really connected to you. I really have strong affection for you. And so Jesus gives him an assignment. Feed my lambs. Provide for, take care of, feed my lambs, the most vulnerable, those who are the weakest, those who need to be looked out for the most. Boy, church family, you're doing an amazing job during these COVID days, during the time of quarantine, of looking out for some of our most elderly, our most senior, and uh, neighbors and others who are in need and people in our community who are struggling. You're doing a good job of looking out for them. And I want to say thank you. Way to go. His assignment is uh, to pasture the lambs, take care of them. Well, uh, this conversation has three rounds to it. Question, answer, assignment. The second round is verse 16. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Do you agape me? Jesus keeps his word, the love that God has for us. And John answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I phileo you. I have strong affection for you. And he gives him the second assignment. He changes the wording a bit and uses a different word. He says, take care of my sheep. Be a shepherd to them. Lead them. Look out for them. Jesus' point is he's letting Peter know that he still loves him. He's still got a job for him to do. His denial and his failure does not mean that Jesus has written him off. There's still a role to be played by Peter. Well, the third round in this conversation of love is in verse 17, the third time. He said to him, he being Jesus, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? He now changes his love word and uses the same word that John, Peter had been using. He's pressing Peter to, to check his love. Peter, you sure you even have deep affection for me? That connectivity kind of love toward me? Are you sure? Why did he ask three times? Some think that it's because there were three denials. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And so the three times match up. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Others think it's because the way you made something a real solemn obligation was you repeated it in those days three times in front of witnesses. The other six disciples are there. Peter. Do you love me? Peter was hurt, we're told, in verse 17, because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you follow me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know 
that I love phileo you. Why was he hurt? Because Jesus had to point out the quality of his love with a different word, or because Jesus had to ask the third time? We don't know for sure why he was hurt. But his answer is an affirmation the third time over, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus repeats the assignment a third time. Feed my sheep. This is who you are, Peter. This is who I made you to be. This is what I have empowered and equipped you to do. Get back at it. No more fishing. Your job is my little lambs. Your job is my sheep. Feed, take care of, lead, and pasture them. This is a conversation that restored Peter. And we've in this sermon series been thinking about the conversations, the spiritual conversations we get to have with other people. And this passage, this conversation of love makes us think about the conversations that we have with others. When a relationship has drifted apart, when a relationship has been broken because of sin, when a relationship has been damaged because of something on either side or both sides, I think there are four takeaways as we think about the relationships, the, the, the conversations that we get to have, that we get to initiate. And these apply whether it's for a child, uh, an older student, or an adult. Uh, we learned from this one. This was a conversation that restored. Uh, there are times when if a relationship has been broken, we can initiate and say, things have changed between us and I regret it. I want to see things between us made right and restored. I'm eager to do whatever I can to see our relationship healthy and growing again. This was a, a conversation that offered relationship. Jesus hadn't written Peter off. And there are occasions for us to be able to initiate and say, I want to offer my friendship to you and I hope you will offer yours to me. This was a conversation that affirmed Peter's value and he had a role to play. And there are times after a relationship has been broken or distanced or damaged where it can be our opportunity to say, I need what you bring to the table in our relationship. I need your honesty. I need your bluntness. God has put you in my life for a reason. You are just the right person that he wants to use I need your input in my life. And this is the conversation that faced forward. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 that uh, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to take hold of what God has called me to in Christ Jesus. This is a conversation that was facing forward with Peter. There was there was more to be done. He was not to focus on his failure in the past. He was to face forward. And we get opportunities to say to folks, I want you to know that regardless of what has happened between us in the past, God's grace and love are bigger. I will not hold the things of the past over your head. I want us to face forward in our relationship. I want to see God work in both of us from this point forward. 
conversations that restore, conversations that offer relationship, conversations that affirm value and a role to be played, conversations that face forward. Is there someone with whom you need to have a conversation now, today, tomorrow? What a great opportunity to have a conversation that restores and reaffirms. Well, what about when we're Peter? What about when we've blown it and we feel disqualified? We feel the, the guilt and the embarrassment. We need to remind ourselves that there is no sin so great that God cannot forgive. There is no failure bigger than his grace. And we need to remind ourselves that when, when God forgives, when we confess and repent and turn away from the sin, when he then offers forgiveness to us, he restores. When God forgives, he restores. Psalm 86 says, you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. So don't hang on to parts of your past that pull you down, undermine your spiritual growth, undermine your soul. Once you have confessed and repented, get rid of the reminders of the things that, that take your mind back to that failure. Take your mind back to that time uh, where you blew it. And don't constantly be replaying it in your mind. How many times do you think, Peter, over those weeks, after the time in Jerusalem, as they'd gone back to Galilee, how many times do you think he replayed in his mind over and over and over the denial? Doesn't do any good. All it does is trap your mind in ungodly and unbiblical thought patterns. See, God uses guilt for a purpose. When we've sinned, guilt is there because it's to move us toward confession and toward things being made right with God again. Guilt is going to be there until confession is made. We need to agree with God about our sin and ask for his forgiveness. But then once we have confessed, once we've received his forgiveness, it is amazing what God does with our forgiven sin. There are a number of pictures in the Old Testament of what he does with our sin once it's confessed and forgiven. The pictures are our sins are blotted out, our sins are covered, our sins are removed, our sins are wiped out, our sins are cleansed. Uh, God takes our forgiven sin and casts it behind his back treads it underfoot, he stomps on it, and he takes our forgiven sin and casts it into the depths of the sea. What God does with forgiven sin is amazing. And if we're going to uh, turn away from what has happened, what we've done in the past, we need to understand the difference between shame and regret. God uses regret to draw you back to himself. Satan uses shame to keep you moving away from God. Shame is when I say, I made a mistake. I am a mistake. I'm good for nothing. I'm a huge disappointment. Uh, I blew it. I am damaged goods. I'm defined by my failure. I am unusable. A person stuck 
in shame. That's exactly what Satan wants because he can keep you paralyzed and or moving away from God. Regret is used by God to draw us back to himself. Regret is, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had a do-over. That's not who and what I want to be. That's not who God has called me to be. That's not who he's made me. I blew it. I guess in that sense, I'm damaged goods. But God redeems damaged goods, and he is going to use me. God uses regret to draw you back to himself. Shame is used by Satan to keep you moving away from God. So back to our question. Do you love me more than fill in the blank? It doesn't matter what's gone on in the past. That question is where new beginnings are found. It's where turnarounds happen. It's where fresh starts with God are launched. Do you love me more than fill in the blank? This was a conversation with Peter, a conversation about love that restored him and recommissioned him and recalled him to what God had sent him to be and do. So what was the impact of this restorative conversation, this conversation about love with Jesus on Peter? What do we know about Peter's future? We know that he was not disqualified. When we get to Acts chapter 2, and it's just a few weeks after their conversation at the Sea of Galilee, Peter and the disciples are back down in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And that's the time when the Holy Spirit comes on the first believers, the early church, and everyone wonders what is going on and who is it on the steps of the Temple Mount who stands up and delivers the sermon that day. It's Peter. Peter is the one who says, this Jesus whom you crucified is Lord and Messiah. And he calls on them to repent for the forgiveness of their sins and to be baptized and to follow Jesus. And there are thousands who become followers of Jesus that day. Peter was not disqualified. We know from 1 Peter chapter 5, a letter written near the end of Peter's life, that he got the message from Jesus. He was recommissioned and recalled to lead in the church, to be a shepherd of the flock, Here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I think he heard Jesus that morning. This is years later. He is using the same phrases, shepherd, flock, take care of the sheep. We know that later in life, Peter was faithful. Jesus says one other thing to Peter as the conversation concludes at the end of John chapter 21. He says to Peter in verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, 
You will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. I read that right after he says to Peter, feed my sheep. And I think, why would he conclude the conversation like that? To discourage Peter? Uh, to tell him this is what's coming? Uh, you're going to have someone bind you, take you where you don't want to go. That phrase, uh, stretch out your hands, was a, a phrase that indicated crucifixion. He's telling Peter how his life is going to end. Why would he be doing that? Because he's encouraging Peter. He's speaking courage into Peter, letting him know, yeah, there was failure in the past. But from here on out, you're going to follow me and you're going to follow me faithfully to the end. Whatever remains, Peter, in terms of self-doubt that you're wondering, can you really stick with it and follow Jesus to the end despite past failure? The answer is yes. You are going to follow me all the way to the end to a faithful death. See, when we repent of our sin, when we turn away from it, Jesus forgives. And when he forgives, he restores and he recommissions us and recalls us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he has sent us to do.